This podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check out the THN Patreon page to become a monthly supporter. And Omaha Bound. No one has more experience binding comic books into beautiful hardbound editions. Check out their work at OmahaBound.com. Thanks to Omaha Bound and stay tuned for an announcement about their Kickstarter for Paul Tobin and Phil Hester's Fringe series from Caliber Comics collected for the first time. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 587 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, you know me. You may or may not like me. My name is Matt Buck. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. One of us is topless this week. I'll let you guess which one. This week, we're reviewing eight comics from new comic book Wednesday, August 26th. And after that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. It's not me because I don't make a big deal out of it. You know, like I just act like I've been there, you know. Uh, so for you, it's just like a state of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> like you don't need to you don't need to say I'm topless. Exactly. It's just like, exactly. And sometimes finally, you're topless, sometimes you're not. I sit down with Alex Packnadel for our gotcha questions segment to discuss what it's like to get called up to the big leagues and write some Empire one shots. But before we get into his half-alien plant daddy issues. It is review time in the ziggurat! Maybe I should start whispering that. Uh, like big news. Review time. <laughs> yeah, I think we should. The fans love it. I think we should. This week, our pile of comics features three damn jokers, Daredevil's magic twin. True story. Yeah. The Thing's new venom teeth. Again, true story. <laughs> and a new take on Mega Man. Somehow those are all my picks. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? Excelsior to you, Joe. My first review goes to Lock and Key in Pale Battalions Go. <laughs> Which is, is like an old English thing, I think. In, in Pale, not Impale. Yeah, in, in space, Pale, pale two Battalions words. Go. Number one from IDW. Joe Hill and Gabriel you Rodriguez. You know that that's some literary shit. Yeah, of course. Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez are back at it again. This is a two-part story that takes a look at Key House in the past, 1915 to be exact, where a young man is itching to get in on World War I, but he's a little too young. So he starts using the keys to mess with forces he cannot possibly understand. This is a bad kid. By the way, I don't know if he has good intentions, but he's a this bad kid. This kid wants to kill people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love the original Lock and Key series. Not so much the Netflix series, but this was an awesome return to the weird world of Key House and Rodriguez's detailed, clean style he brings to Hill's story. He lightened up the colors a little bit in this one and I to make it feel a little more historic I think so it's not kind of as dark and as creepy as the modern day yeah, stuff yeah yeah it's kind of um it's kind of got a, a a more dated look to it and it's a little more lighthearted and I think it's because these characters know what they're dealing with and the kids that we kind of met in the modern right. day did they know about the magic they know about the keys right and they're just kind of using it it, it's interesting to see how they use this differently than the other people who are discovering it and don't quite understand its powers. This was wonderful. And I love these revisits to Hill House in different eras where we get to see how different characters are dealing with the keys 
And there's a music box that's introduced in this one that's very cool. This was just a ton of fun. I loved it. Huge buy it. Uh, music box, I think, was already introduced. Oh, you're right. That was a thing. Yeah, um, that was a thing. I'm trying to remember which key, uh, if there was a key that uh, was new. Uh, the one that made him older may have been new. I believe so. The stamp key was new too, wasn't it? Oh, the stamp key. Yeah, the stamp yeah. key was new. Uh, imaginary mail. Yeah. That's what a what an idea. So cool. So this isn't the first time that they have revisited uh, this era of the family. I believe there was a one shot uh, some years ago that was set maybe a little bit later. Well, actually, I don't know. It may have been earlier. Um it was kind of a, a little Nemo in Slumberland. Yeah. Kind of a um, homage. I, I think that where, starred the um, father in this, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, where they took, uh, he took his, um, his dying kid to, to live in this kind of mm-hmm. uh, make believe space inside the moon. Yeah. Such a good story. It was beautiful. Um, I love this. I, like, I'm totally fine if they never want to go back and do anything more with the modern day Locke family. Yeah. Uh, if we keep getting this sort of history. Yeah, they told that story and they ended it in a good spot, too. There, there's still some mystery yeah. and whatever. If they want to revisit it, fine. I don't need it. No, yeah. And like, I'm not going to complain about it, but like, I'm totally satisfied with them just filling in the gaps. Yeah. Of this wonderful world that they've created. I loved this. Huge buy it from me. I almost kind of wish they would just do that with the show and just give us more like pastiches of the house in different times. And stuff like that. Like, I would much rather watch that than what we got. So, I mean, I liked the show, but I get it. It was fine. That would be fun. First up for me is Fantastic Four Antithesis, number one from Marvel. All right. I think it's Ostensibly, antithesis, dude. Antithesis, yeah. <laughs> uh, ostensibly, this is a series that's supposed to harken back to one of the greatest modern runs in FF history by Mark Wade. The legendary Neil Adams is on art. Uh, so you'd think it would be a slam dunk. Unfortunately, you'd be way wrong. <laughs> uh, FF antithesis is anything but. Uh, not only is Adams's art out of control, ridiculous with its oddly distorted facial expressions, but Wade's script is a pale shadow of the work he did with Mike Wieringo back in the day. Johnny is suddenly an outdated catchphrase spouting meme generator. Yeah. And Ben's New York accent is way over the top, like way. They're all from New York. Come on. Yeah. Why does only Ben talk that way? Right. And like, I get it. Maybe he's from a different neighborhood or whatever, but it's like, like he's ben from Brooklyn or like, whatever. I, hey, I it's Ben from the Bronx. Hey, you know, the thing. Yeah, I don't, like, have a I don't remember what thing. Hey, you know, like, no, <laughs> like, I don't remember where Yancey street is, like what borough it's in, but like none of the other members of the FF talk this way. Right. None of the other characters in the Marvel universe talk this way. <laughs> I really wanted to love this, but I instead I felt absolutely nothing. Uh, compared to something like last week's Maestro, this look back at the past is a total bust. And so I'm giving Fantastic Four Antithesis a leave it. Like, it was bad. Yeah, it did. It, it literally is the exact opposite of what we got from that Maestro book, because that Maestro book felt very much like it picked up right where that story had left off or could have left off. It felt like it fit. And it continued perfectly. And it, the yes. voices were perfect. The art worked. Everything worked. 
this does not feel like I'm revisiting Mark Wade's Fantastic Four. This definitely no. feels like Neil Adams had maybe more power over the script than he should have had because it certainly didn't sound like Mark Wade writing them either. Oh, I don't think Neil Adams wrote any of this. I don't know. Well, then what was Mark Wade doing? What? Because he's better than this. You said to me in a text, Mark Wade is better than this. What is wrong? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I wish I could pinpoint it. it all, it, all it says is that Mark Wade and Neil Adams are the quote unquote storytellers. It does not give any specific credit to either one of them. I, it, this but, was just bizarre. And it, down to the things, absolutely bizarre facial expressions his weird orangutan pushed up nose he has fangs he has full-on fangs in one panel where he's smiling because like he got johnny good with that gag or whatever you know and his teeth are sharp like velociraptor sharp it's bizarre no no that's not true. Look at it again you're you're exaggerating he's got pointy teeth look at (laughs) this i sent you a picture of it it, yes, I is, know you did. This is bizarre. I mean, there, there's one. The first, uh, the first thing I sent you today, when I finally sat down to read it, uh, it's on the second page. Yes, and he is yelling something at a nihilist, and he's got like half of his tongue sticking out, and it's yeah. like, what, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do not know what they were going for here. They did not hit it, though. This is a leave it. This was garbage. And you hate to see older creators, you know, the same way that you feel bad for older athletes that are still trying to do it and aren't working at that level that you remember them at. I hate to see stuff like this. I'm not trying to bag on, you know, anyone's talent. This is hard to look at. No, this is a bad comic book by good creators. This, uh, uh, sir, I'm looking at the picture you sent me. He's got a sharp incisor, and incisors are pointy, he but looks, the rest of his teeth are flat. It looks like venom. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It is a weird distended grin. Like, the thing's face does not move like that. No, and he doesn't have weird gums like that either. God damn it. He's made of rocks, okay? <laughs> it's bizarre. It's just bizarre to look at. My next review is of Canto, number two, The Hollow Man, number one from IDW. This was written by David M. Boer with art by Drew Zucker. I reviewed. To be clear, it's Canto Volume Two. Right. Number one, not Canto Number Two, Number One. No, they called it Canto Two on the cover. So Canto Two, yeah, the Electric Boogaloo. I reviewed the first Canto when it came out a few years ago and really enjoyed it, and ended up actually reading the whole series because it was just so cute and odd. Canto is back here with his little adorable, slightly different clockwork friends and weird fire engine red monkey horse things. <laughs> Canto has freed his people. Yeah, like bat monkeys? I don't sort know. Sort of. But he's also uncovered a curse that comes with freedom. Now, yes, the characters look very similar other than the color of their glowing metal mouths or the occasional eye patch here and there. There, But there is a very Jim Henson-inspired world that this creative team has built that I can't deny. Zucker's art is a little cleaner than the first series, but it's still completely insane, and the world he's created around these characters is even more fleshed out. Kanto is easy to dismiss as a cute sort of Dark Crystal homage, but it's really solid Dark Crystal homage, too. <laughs> this was a fully realized return to the world of Kanto. I forgot how much I really enjoyed the first season. This is a great read. I'm giving it a buy it. 
Yeah, I, you know, I liked this. I didn't read the first one uh, because that was back before we were both reading every uh, all right. of our picks. But um, like, I see. To me, this felt like I could definitely see this as like a stop motion Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, at first, you know, it took me a little while to get into it, but it really won me over with its charm. Yeah, and like you said, the characters do all look the same for the most part, but they also like with time they become distinguishable. Right. And you really get invested in what's going on with them. Uh, the art was great. It's also part of the story. They are mechanical people that were not yeah, they're supposed to be people. different. They're, yeah. And so um, like they have established themselves. Well, I'm different because of this and I did this to my body. So I'm different. Yeah. And right. they, even though this is a second volume, you could jump right into this. It's not a problem. Yeah, and I and I did, and I didn't really have any problems at yeah. all following it. They were like, "Yeah, this is what happened." And like the plot point that they're dealing with is very compelling, and like actually kind of hits you <laughs> when it happens. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, uh, this was this was really good. I'm giving this a buy. It. You yeah. know, I like. I, this isn't the sort of thing that I would normally like go for, but I can't deny that I wasn't charmed by it. You're right, though. It is just quirky and fantasy enough to feel like sort of a Tim Burton kind of steampunk. Yeah, or you know, like Jim Henson, Tim, like yeah. these are good Steampunk Dark for Crystal sure. is what I would call it. And it didn't give me a rash. So that says Look, after, <laughs> after our conversation about Time Bandits yesterday, I'm not going to tell you how I feel about Dark Crystal. I don't so let's just drop it. I think you should even bring Time Bandits back up because I don't know if we can be I friends just, anymore. I'm, just, so. I'm dropping it. I'm dropping it. <laughs> Next up, Legion of Superheroes number eight from DC. This is the first event of the new rebooted Legion, the trial of the Legion of Superheroes, following the events of the last few issues, which somehow uh, take place over the span of just two days. Yeah, I guess it was 48 hours. <laughs> I didn't put that together. <laughs> uh, the Legion has been put on trial by the United Planets. Uh, writer B.M. Bendis' story is fine, but the real draw in this particular issue and the next is the all-star artist jam. Each page is drawn by a superstar art team, including Doc Shainer, David Mack, Michael Avon Oming, Joel Jones, Mike Allred, Dustin Nguyen, and more. Uh, Bendis plays fast and loose with classic Legion continuity. In fact, I got on Twitter today and demanded that he explain himself. <laughs> he has that. not responded yet. <laughs> uh, and that might get old school fans worked up a bit, but this issue was a total blast to read. Legion of Superheroes number eight gets a buy it. I realize that I am not old school Legion fan and therefore maybe I shouldn't talk, but I am sick and tired of hearing old school Legion fan bitch about this book because I love it. And this is yeah, the it's great. first no, it's time. This is the first time since that like Legion lost shit, which I'm also told is not the Legion stuff that I should love. It, it was too much of a departure no, and it's super weird. You're wrong. I it, really enjoyed wrong. that. And yeah, no. I love this book. It is so much fun to read. I care about these characters. I love the voice that they have. And I don't think they all sound like Bendis. I think they all sound like a bunch of spastic kids. And he's capturing their energy, their weirdness, their different situations that they're all in. The art in this was crazy. It was, I mean, it was so many people that I love and used really well. It didn't just feel like, yeah. oh, guess who else is drawing this? you know, one panel where someone is doing one thing. Like it worked really well to tell the story. I love like, I this book and I love I this Legion. Com- I guess if you're going to uh, offer a complaint about it, it could be like, oh man, I can't believe they wasted artist X on this, uh, 
the scene where they're standing around talking. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Not every page can be super yeah, exciting. You got to get them in there. And I mean, come on. <laughs> but I did love, uh, especially the way that each page was its own scene and that it dealt, uh, most of them dealt specifically with the backstory of a specific Legionnaire. Yeah. Which is something that I've been waiting for since the reboot happened. No, definitely. And, and the past few issues, a couple issues have been like that as well. We've been getting sort of romantic looks into their life. Yeah. Like where they came from. And I love it. I've never cared about these characters. I never knew anything about them. And maybe I'm learning the wrong stuff or the continuity is not right. I don't care. I'm, I'm enjoying the Legion. I'm giving this a buy it. Here's the thing about the Legion. There's no such thing as the right continuity. That's the just right it. continuity. The right continuity is the current continuity. And every time I've asked, people be like, no, 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 you got to read this. And like, only that? Do I no. stop there? Yeah, and no, like, no. is that all I'm like, allowed to read? Because like, I, I read it and I it will sucked. Sit here and <laughs> Sorry. I will sit here and preach the virtues of the Great Darkness Saga and the um, uh, 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 Dave Cockrum run in the 70s, like, until I grow old and die. But. None of that means a damn thing right. to the Legion today. None of it. So like what you like, and this book is great. Yeah. Be happy you had a Legion comic because it could go the way of Young Justice, which is also great and canceled. So deal with right. it. My next pick, pardon me, my next review is of Daredevil Annual number one, 2020. Okay. Just say Daredevil Annual 2020. There's no reason yeah, to call it number stop, one. Stop numbering. There is just not going to be another annual this year. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. Okay, Marvel? Figure it out. If you didn't pick up on that, this is from Marvel. Chip Zdarsky is here with art by Manuel Garcia and Chris Mooneyham. Zdarsky plays off one of the weirdest plot lines running in his Daredevil story, the wild and woolly world of Mike Murdock, Matt's magic twin bro that was wished into existence by the hood using it as guardian Nornstone. Here's a little bit of history about Mike Murdock. Mike Murdock was Matt Murdock pretending to be his own twin brother. Right. <laughs> And this was a storyline from like the 60s or 70s. And every like every 20 years or so, some writer like digs it up and it's like, oh, Mike Murdoch. Awesome. Yeah. Well, not too long ago. And I don't think it was Zdarsky. Not too long ago. Somebody did something with the hood when he had the Norn stones. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing that. I don't actually I'm remember Mike back. any of that. But maybe. I don't know when it happened. But regardless, Mike is not such a great guy. He's kind of shifty. He's been working with the hood. Here he borrows the Nornstone because he wants to fix himself because he's basically walking around this fake person that doesn't exist and has weird memories but isn't an actual person. And it's actually kind of compelling. Like he sort of just comes out to the black cat and tells him tells her exactly who he is and what's going on. And she's like, yeah, you should talk to somebody about that <laughs> and leaves <laughs> Zdarsky uses the Nornstone to rewrite history here making Mike a part of Matt's life growing up and it works really well to give us this alternate history with a mix of the two artists doing today and the flashback that just is fantastic the story seems to have concreted Mike in Matt's past now as a brother a twin and sets up what looks to be a very cool new storyline for Daredevil. I'm just curious, like, is this canon now or is this going to get fixed in the end? No, no. Chip, Zdars <laughs> Chip Zdarsky said, like, this 
this annual matters. I love it. It's if that's the case, turning point. if that's the case, and we took an Asgardian Nornstone and we changed reality, and Daredevil has a twin brother, and that twin brother's a piece of shit. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I totally yeah. love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting, all right. We don't think about shit like that when we think of Daredevil. Daredevil's more of a street level hero dealing with street level stuff. You know, the Kingpin and Hammerhead and crime and you know shit like that. I love that he has a magic twin that got farted into reality. <laughs> That's it's great. true. <laughs> Go to buy it. All right. So here's here's a little bit more from uh, the Marvel fandom wiki. Uh, Mike Murdoch was basically the matches Malone of Daredevil. Uh, it was a secret identity that Dare- that Matt Murdoch would use to go undercover. God, uh, I hate matches he, Malone. <laughs> you weirdo! Matches is great. So dumb. Uh, so he, yeah, he he pretended that Mike was Daredevil, not him, which is weird. Why would you frame your own twin brother? Uh, and then later, much much later on, uh, this had to be during Charles Soule's run. Uh, after Daredevil, Daredevil enlists the help of the inhuman named Reader to form a group to take down Wilson Fisk, Mayor Wilson Fisk. Yeah, that was Charles Soule, because Charles Soule was writing the inhuman stuff, too. Yeah. Reader accidentally used his ability to psychically manifest uh, Mike Murdoch as an actual being. <laughs> what? Accidentally. What, what Accident- happened? <laughs> like, whoops. Whoops, what I made you a twin brother. <laughs> uh, and so, like you said, up until this, up until this annual reveals... Uh, he was just a, a, a figment, a fragment uh, that was just like conjured. And then he uses the Nornstone to make his history into reality. So, yeah, they have retconned Daredevil history so that he always had a twin brother. Love it. I totally it's love awesome. it. It's awesome. It's so good. <laughs> it's just this is the kind of thing that only Chip Zdarsky can get away with. Yeah, it's so good. Love it. And the way they play off the art uh, between the modern day and the flashback scenes is awesome. Both were beautiful. Uh, Chris, Chris Mooneyham's uh, flashback art with uh, Battle and Jack Murdoch when they were kids is yeah. great. Yeah. It's so good. And there's like a uh, really I love this. bittersweet story that's being told there as well. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, just. Yeah, all, all, this, all these mommy like and daddy Mike issues. Is, Mike's not a monster. He's just kind of a piece of shit, you know? He's <laughs> fucked up. He's just fucked up. Yeah. yeah and, and like he sees the other side of dad that Matt refused to see. You know, like, yeah, like Matt was the golden child. He right. Could do no wrong. And Matt was just and like, Mike was the problem child. Dad did everything he could. Dad did the best he could. Dad tried to take care of us. And Mike's kind of like, you know what? Dad worked for the mob and took falls in, in yeah. boxing matches dad, to make money. Dad took dives. Yeah, Dad's absolutely. a fucking criminal. <laughs> you yeah. know? Uh, this was like, we're gushing at this point. It was great. It's it a was huge fun. buy it. Yeah. Like, this, like if you are currently reading Daredevil, you cannot skip this issue. Yeah. Do not skip it. It's, and I got to say, Nice to have an annual that matters. We don't get a lot of those. Yes, very much. All right. Now the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> Batman Three Jokers, number one from DC's Black Label on imprint. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> uh, after years of teases and delays, Three Jokers is finally here and it's it's good. I mean, it's okay. It's fine. Uh, yeah. uh, Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok deliver a story about a group of characters constantly reliving their own trauma made all the worse by the appearance of three different versions of the villain responsible for most of it. Of course, we don't get any answers to the mystery here. And the script was about as subtle as a brick through a window. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, Hey, 
Barbara Gordon is working out so hard with her now working legs that she keeps ruining treadmills while listening to commercials about restless leg syndrome and then showering while caressing her bullet wound. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Like these people have been through some stuff. Uh, Still though, I thought it was pretty effective. Uh, those last few pages, I will say they were a complete shock that I didn't see coming. Uh, I did not think DC would have the guts, which I'm sure is what caused Matt to text me. Does this book take place in continuity? That's just it. And I begged him not to ask that question DC again. Doesn't for have the eighteen thousandth time. They don't have the guts, and it goes right back to that Evan Dorkin thread that I retweeted yesterday. I get it, man, but there are three of them, so this does like. I'm not going to say what happened, but. It's not like I, I just like I almost screamed out a spoiler and I'm like, no, Matt, shut up. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Jason Fabox art is unbelievable. Yeah. in every moment he spent out of the spotlight working on this book shows on the page. Three Jokers. Look, man, it's a weird series and time will tell whether or not it means a damn thing in this new era of DC Comics. Yeah. However, it shakes out. But I did think the first issue was pretty damn impressive. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay, I promise I am not going to go on a long rant about what like is. Like, we don't need to dwell on it. I'm not we doing did it. it. Black label is ambiguous. I'm not doing it. What I am going to say is, yes, as a Batman story, I really enjoyed it. It was beautiful to look at. I really love the way Jeff Johns writes Jason, Jason Todd. And Quite honestly, that is not a character that I care about. And I don't think he ever needed to be brought back. And I right. really don't think it it's done anything for the Bat Mythos other than be like, oh, look, now Batman's even more screwed up, you know. But with all of that said, when you take a storyline like this that relies on something that did happen in DC continuity a long goddamn time ago and release it now with what's happening in regular Batman continuity that doesn't feel, sound, or have anything to do with this. It makes it hard for me to unequivocally say, I love it, buy it. I'm giving it a buy it because it is a great comic book. (laughs) Well, that was a whole lot of buildup for nothing. I know. I'm giving it a buy it because it is a great comic book. But we have to talk about the elephant in the room. No, we don't though, Matt. Weird so, it like, is. A good story is a good story. A good story That's is a good story. Matters. But it is, you, you admitted it yourself. We don't know where this is going to shake out. And something happens. Something really big. It was happened. also supposed to come out two years ago. I get that. Something huge happens in this comic book that will directly affect one character for the rest of their life. Or didn't happen in regular continuity, so we don't have to worry about it. So we'll see, I guess. I'm giving it a buy it. But I need to fucking know. <laughs> like, I need to know. And it's, you know what? I would argue two characters. Happens to two characters. Yeah, yeah. One yeah, of I them. I know what you're talking one about. One of them I would expect. Maybe, yeah, they do that. The other one, in that scene, I went, holy shit. You know, like, if that sticks wow, they're really going to have to deal with this. So I guess we'll see where this takes place. I don't know. I, I will say for a Black Label book, the only thing I noticed, there was some violence, but like there wasn't a bunch of cussing and stuff. So if they decide this is, yes, DC continuity, they could easily slide this right in there. 
I mean, D- Doomsday Clock had cussing, so right, and it wasn't a black label book, wasn't it? No. Oh, I thought it was. Nope. Okay. Huh. Well, then yeah, I don't I, know I, what's I, going on. <laughs> I, I, I think the obsession. I think the obsession over where things fit in does a disservice to the individual comics. And I get that. Like, and I get it. Like, as a continuity fan, I understand where you're coming from. But when I you get it, when but you start doing character moments it for where it is, when you start what doing it is. character moments like what happened in this book, we have to have a discussion. We have. But to. what is? Re- but what's really going to be lost if they never reference it? I'm not, I'm nothing. Are you going to be like, oh man, I totally can't believe they didn't tie three jokers into Red Hood and the Outlaws. No, what I'm saying is if, if it's not referenced, fine. Then it's just a standalone story and it is what it is. But if it counts, something really, really major happened to two major Bat characters that will have to be dealt with. Okay, well, That's let's all I'm not saying. fuss about it today on the day of release <laughs> That's of all the I, first issue is what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying about it. All right. My next review is of Sun Eater, number one, from Heavy Metal. Here's your creative team. This was written by Dylan Sprouse and Joe Harris with art by Diego Yapur. Dylan Sprouse, who you may or may not have heard last week, played Zach on the beloved Nickelodeon show, The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. By the way, he is... His twin brother is Jughead on, on, on Riverdale. Riverdale. Yes. He's a, they are good looking kids, by the way. Good looking. They twins. are supernaturally handsome. Yes. This is a supernatural Viking tale that follows an addict deadbeat dad who looks to be sort of a pawn in a game hosted by the king of gods himself. Yipper's pencils are really fantastic and expressive and gross when they need to be. His line work reminds me of Trevor Harrison. It's very detailed and scratchy, but he's more realistic than Harrison. Harrison kind of goes a little nuts sometimes with his point of view and some sort of like anatomy work to express things. This is a lot more realistic. His characters are sweaty. They're dirty. They look like they stink as much as you think Vikings did back then. Sprouse and Harris's story is excellent. It's perfect for fans of the Vikings TV show. The dialogue is very dated to sound Norse, but it it didn't bother me and it wasn't cloying. The story started kind of psychedelic following this drug addict main character. So I wasn't really sure if it was supernatural or not, but then it Definitely takes a turn for the supernatural. That is very cool. I really enjoyed this book. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was great. Uh, Like, you know, actor turned comic writer is always a red flag. That can be a scary thing. Uh, But at the same time, there's no reason why they can't be good. Too. No, I mean, sure. And also Joe Harris is a seasoned veteran. Yeah. And uh, I thought this was well done. Um, I actually thought the art reminded me more of a much less mechanical looking Mike Diodato Jr. Okay. No, I can see that. I I, I think, you know, like not so stiff and Photoshoppy yeah. looking, it was, uh, um, but it did things, you know, with like uh, the shading and the, yeah. and the hatch, uh, the uh, cross hatching. His yeah, face this work, was, it, like the work and like his facial expressions are amazing. This guy's really talented. Yeah. This was super impressive. Well done. Uh, Dylan Sprouse. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more. It's a buy it for me. Speaking of which, heavy metal. I started looking at the comics they're push they're putting out. We don't review a lot of heavy metal stuff. And in looking at 
some of the other titles, there's some really high quality looking stuff there. I'm giving them props and I need to check out more of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously heavy metals has been around for decades and, uh, uh, it was, we just think of it as a magazine, the, heavy metal magazine, the, the magazine, heavy metal is published by rebellion. So I'm sure that this right. is an imprint of rebellion. Yeah. Uh, heavy which, metal was sort of like America's 2000 AD almost where like it oh, has, pardon me. It's 2000 AD. Uh, uh, it's 2000 AD that's put out by rebellion, not heavy metal. No, not heavy metal. Heavy metal puts out heavy metal. That's where I was. That's where I got mixed up. Yeah. Heavy metal has always been known for high quality, weird as hell, yeah. European comics. Edgy, sci-fi, you know, like, well, not even European. A lot of it was American, too. They're an American country. Sure, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, this was great. Yeah, absolute buy it. Our final review of this week goes to Mega Man, fully charged, number one from IDW. I love Mega Man. I do, too. I love Mega Man in all of his forms, and I have since I first saw the ads for the second video game in my comics as a kid, Mega Man 2, one of the greatest video games ever made. Certainly one of the like top 10 best video game soundtracks of all time. This is a totally new take on the Blue Bomber, courtesy of writers AJ uh, Macicello and Marcus Reinhardt. Uh, apparently based on a TV show of the same name. I had no idea. Huh? This story adds a ton of depth to what has traditionally been a pretty shallow character. Good robot, built to fight, bad robots. The end. That's the extent of Mega Man. <laughs> Here we get a glimpse at Mega Man's secret history, a forgotten human robot war, and even an examination of what it means to be human. The art by Stefano Simeone and colorist Igor Monti is incredible. Wonderfully kinetic with an anime feel. I had no idea this was based on a show, but after reading uh, Mega Man Fully Charged number one, I definitely want to check it out. This gets a buy it. It oh. was great. When you said it was a show that just rang a bell, Mega Man Fully Charged is a Cartoon Network show. And that's why uh. this looks the way it looks, because the Cartoon Network show is kind of anime inspired, very CG and whatnot. I was a little thrown by it just due to the fact that, like, the Mega Man that I love looks like it's different yeah eight bit you know cute stocky mega man i'm not saying i want to run around going mega mega you know shit like that <laughs> that's captain n do not put that do yeah. not put that evil on this no <laughs> but this did throw mega me a little bit it was really well done it, they the cartoon sort of leans into the fact that mega man is a kid not so much a robot and oh. they're sort of focusing on that here and i don't love that as much as the old Mega Man mythos. I thought the See, comic this is made good. It, this made it feel like he was definitely a robot. Well, but he like he's trying to be human. He identifies as a kid. He first and foremost. Oh, well, sure. And like it, the old Mega Man was sort of different. He was a robot that was a kid robot and sort of understood that, but he wasn't evil like the other robots. And there's nothing wrong with the comic. It's very well done. The art is great. This just isn't my favorite take on the Mega Man mythos. I'm giving it a buy it. <laughs> But it's I just mean, like I'm an older guy. I, I don't need the kid shit, you know, <laughs> like, I, mean, I like, like it even, as a good robot, you know, you know, even the even the title screens of some of the older games show like Mega Man standing with his helmet off and his hair blowing in the breeze. Yeah, sure, sure. Like he's like a he's he looks like a kid under there. Uh, I suppose. Yeah. No, I mean, it was fun. I'm giving it a buy it. All right. Joe Patrick, who wins book of the week? Who's your book of the week? Oh, God. 
think it's Daredevil. I, you know, I think it's Daredevil as well because it was just so wacky and and turned out. When I read what it was going to be, I was like, all right, I'm going to review this. Let's see what you got, Chip Zdarsky. And he just stuck the landing on something so stupid. It's dumb. It is stupid. <laughs> There's no question. <laughs> but when you, that's what I love about comics. When you can like take something that ridiculous and tell a very human story that like really strikes a chord and just goes, oh man, you know, <laughs> this is great. I think Chip Zdarsky is killing this run. And it's my book of the week. I loved it. I got to say, Sun Eater, right behind there. The only thing I'm mad at Batman about was just like, I got to know. But I'm not going back into that. <laughs> so I just don't even think that that's something to be mad about. But okay. Uh, it's I'm putting mad yeah, in quotes. Uh, so, mad. You know, I, Three Jokers was surprising. Legion, I really liked. But Daredevil, I, I finished Daredevil and I was like, God damn. I want to read more about Mike Murdoch right now now yeah. right now and i love that you're setting up here's my next storyline that's coming yeah. and and you read the whole annual and it could be all right we're having this fun and they're gonna throw it away in the last page there it goes there it goes and he does the exact opposite nope yeah. this is the next daredevil storyline get ready <laughs> you yeah. know and it was great spectacular yeah spectacular that is it for your new comic reviews this week and is the sound of a guy falling directly on his melon while dreaming he was transforming into Lady Gaga as seen in the pages of the fame colon Lady Gaga comic book. I wish you would have said Gaga twice. <laughs> Gaga. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by the one and only Casey Baum via Twitter. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, Call us, make the noise, tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. Matt, she's your wife. You should have gotten her to record it. Nah, she just wanted to do it this way. She's like, that's how the other nerds do it. That's how I want to do it. I was like, all right, fine. Whatever. John Tavertic had a good one, too, and uh, hit me up right after you read that Maestro comic, which ends with, like, the Hollywood sign, and he's twisted it, and it just says Hulk. And he's like, oh, oh, do you think? Do you think? It's like, settle down, comicbook.com over here. This is not a story, all right? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> we will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsor. We wanted to tell you about Omaha Bound's latest Kickstarter project. Omaha Bound, our premier book binders that specialize in binding comic books into amazing one-of-a-kind hardbound editions completely customizable to your specifications. Omaha Bound's latest project is a collection of Paul Tobin and Phil Hester's Fringe originally printed by Caliber Comics in the 1990s and reprinted for the first time collected ever. Oh by the way the series never ended but now you can read the end. This new reprint includes a newly written ending to the story, new spot illustrations by Hester accompanying the new ending, new cover by Phil Hester, and an introduction by Zach Davison. We're gonna have a link in the show notes to their Kickstarter where you can see preview art and more. These trade paperbacks are ready to print and are print by order only, so they will be very limited. So you pledge, if you want to own this beautiful collection of early work by Tobin and Hester, you will also get a copy of the Fringe Pencils and Inks. It's a companion piece that has 100 plus pages of original art, sketches, and other artifacts. It's printed in full color, and like I said, they are ready to print. So you order this, and boom, it's shipping right out to you. Plus, 
You'll also get a copy of the Wretch Omnibus, which collects every Wretch storyline, including a new one by series artist Phil Hester that he did in 2019, and the Wretch Pencils and Inks art book. Go check out their Kickstarter. Get in on four exciting, beautifully curated hardcovers, printing, fringe, and the Wretch for the first time with new content. I want to send a huge thanks to Omaha Bound for supporting this show. And go support these guys. Contact them if you want to get your hands on these unique collectibles or you want to get your comics bound into a -a one-of-a-kind hardcover collection. I know on their website they had an X-Factor collection all lined up and the spines lined up with the team showing the the Larry Stroman X-Factor stuff that I love so much. You can find them at omahabound.com. Now, back to the show! That's it for reviews, and now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we are joined by the Demon Bear, who is giving us the hot gossip on the new Mutants premiere, and he has some very salient points on why you should probably watch this one at home, even though the commercials keep driving home the fact that it's in theaters! Say what you will about the Demon Bear, dude is very responsible when it comes to COVID and wants to hear about our must-read picks for next Wednesday, September 2nd. By the way, he said, it's not very good. Now, he could just be bitching because they cut his screen time a little bit. I don't know. (laughs) We don't know that. (laughs) Spoiler alert, we have no idea if it's any good or not. Uh, I do love some good hot goss. I'll tell you that much. I'll tell you what, especially when it's coming from a talking bear. That's right. My pick for next week is We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number one, which is the best title. (laughs) This is from Boom Studios, written by Al Ewing, with art by Simone DiMeo. It's 30 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. For fans of decorum and something is killing the children comes a new sci-fi epic from those guys I just mentioned on the edge of space where humanity is harvesting the corpses of giant alien gods to survive. No one has ever seen a living god, but Captain Malik is obsessed with being the first. Captain Malik and the crew of the Vihan, oh, the Vihan 2, sorry, yeah. harvest the only resources that matter from the giant corpses of alien gods found on the edge of human space. I don't even want to talk about what well, happened uh, with Vihan 1. That was a mess. No, no, no. Don't Oof. even mention it. <laughs> While other autopsy ships race this... <laughs> I love that term. I know. While other autopsy ships race to salvage the meat, minerals, and metals that sustain the human race, Malik sees an opportunity to finally break free from this system. But Malik's obsession with the gods will push his crew into the darkest reaches of space, bringing them face to face with a threat unlike anything they've ever imagined. Unless the rogue agent on their trail can stop them first. Where, where else are you going to get a premise like this other than a guy How like you Al Ewing? Do. Damn, I, <laughs> you know. Now, I my memory is not great, but this is the rare creator-owned project from Al Ewing. He's been a, yeah. He's been a pretty big Marvel head for a long time. Now. I think this might be his first creator-owned title. He he's been adorable online about it, just like gushing about how excited he is, and not like not like you gotta buy it it's gonna be the cool he's like you guys you guys it's coming i'm so excited for you to read it <laughs> it's really cute i love it i love it al yeah. is the best uh at this this the title alone has me totally. interested because holy shit 
It's just uh, something that's just weird enough that he probably couldn't pitch it to Marvel. So he said, fuck it. I'm going to go do this on my own. And yeah, yeah, why not? It why sounds not? like it's going to be great. Yeah. My pick for next week is Black Widow number one from Marvel. It is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Alina Casagrande. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Eh, I'm not going to tell you the people that wrote it again because they just mentioned that. But this is a series that changes everything. Natasha Romanoff has been a spy almost as long as she's been alive. And she's never stopped running, whether she was working for the good guys or the bad. But Natasha's world is about to be upended. Beyond San Francisco's Golden Gate lies a mystery that only the Marvel Universe's greatest spy can solve. Don't miss this heartbreaking thrill ride of 2020! Kelly Thompson is fantastic. Elena Casagrande, I don't know if you saw her Catwoman work or not. She is stunningly talented. And oh, yeah. the preview art for this looks gorgeous. I think yeah, this yeah. is going to be. I feel like I've been waiting for this book forever. Yes. And I feel it, got like... to, it was supposed to come out, I think, in like February. It was. And then they pushed but, it back you know, with COVID. the movie and stuff like that. And yeah. I feel like there's no reason why we can't have a good Black Widow book. But it seems like all the Black Widow books that have been coming out have been trying to do this, like, one thing where they take her out of the spy element and we get a different take on the Black Widow. And it just doesn't take and it doesn't work. I feel like Thompson has a solid take on the character here. She's doing spy stuff, addressing spy shit, and living in her world where she belongs. Because that's where she's great. I'm really looking forward to this and I want to read a good Black Widow book. Oh, for sure. Like, I thought the last Black Widow book was decent. I think it was called Web of the Black Widow. It was and fine. It was kind of more like a noirish. Yeah, it just kind of um, wandered off and sort of just like kept, you know, I mean, like it was spy stuff, but it was just like so stuck in the past that it felt like nothing counted. You know, the characters it, it was still kind alive. Of a throwback, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, like she's obviously not going to fucking die. <laughs> she's still around. But yeah, this for sure, this does feel like the first Black Widow book in a while that has actual stakes for the character. Uh, I love Kelly Thompson. I love Elena Casagrande. This should be a ton of fun. Totally. The THN trade of the week is Flash Savage Velocity. It's a trade paperback from DC Comics. It's written by Mike Barron, creator of Nexus, co-creator, I should say. Co-creator. With art by Jackson Geis. You may know him as Butch sometimes. It's 480 pages for $39.99. That's a thick book. That's goddamn crazy is what it is. Here's your solicit. Wally West's earliest adventures as The Flash are collected here for the first time. During the crisis on Infinite Earths, Barry Allen made the ultimate sacrifice and gave his life to save millions. With his mentor gone, Wally West takes on the role of the fastest man alive, but he doesn't exactly ease into things as he soon finds himself in confrontation with Vandal Savage. I love plus, Vandal Savage. I do too. <laughs> plus meet new characters, including sentient computer virus, Kilg Percentry, which is a <laughs> name nobody has ever figured out how to pronounce. It's supposed to be Kilgore? I think so, yeah. but that's nobody can figure it out. Uh, Matter transporting Chunk, I love Chunk, <laughs> and Star Labs scientist Tina McGee. This collects The Flash 1 through 18 and The Flash Annual Number 1. Now, this is a very different Wally West than what we came to know during, like, the Mark Wade and Jeff Johns yeah, era. I've never read this. I, so I Like, I don't know anything about this Wally. I know it's violently different, though. <laughs> it is. Uh, so this Wally, his top speed was, like, 
700 miles an hour. Like it took him slow. Give me a break. I mean, yeah, fast, right? But like, it's not like he was running at light speed or anything. It's he's not traveling through time. And also, this is where we get the idea that Wally needs to eat so much to fuel his body. Oh, because this is pre-speed force. Oh, so he's like, I need 300 hot dogs. Give them to me. Yeah, right. So he has to. In the first issue, he has to run a heart. From the East Coast to the West Coast for a trans, an emergency transplant, and it takes him hours to get there. And uh, along the way, he runs into Vandal Savage, and the patient almost dies because he almost doesn't make it. How many hours? It's this whole thing. Because like you could put on a plane and you could fly there in like you know six. <laughs> no, they needed it quicker than that. They needed it. They needed it at flash speed. You said hours. And, um, <laughs> I'm just curious. Like, was it? Are we yeah, talking two? And also, or, this is or a nine. This is a. <laughs> This is a Wally uh, where he his motivations are vastly different. Like, yes, he's living in Barry's shadow, but he's also not like the selfless hero we would come to know. Uh, he wins the lottery at some point and becomes a millionaire, oh. and he's a real dick about it. Well, that's good. At least he can afford the food, you know? <laughs> that's good. When you got to eat that uh, many donuts, yeah, that becomes a responsibility, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, this run is wild. It's got great art by Butch Geis. It's, it's a lot of fun uh, if you've never read it before. And a lot of fun to revisit. Nerds, be sure to hit up your local comic book store. Add these comics to your list so you can read along with us at home. Let us know what you're reading, too, over at our Facebook page. Oh, and by the way, every Wednesday, you can find your official THN reading list if you want to play along. Every once in a while, we trick some poor budding creator to sit down for an interview that will undoubtedly ruin their career later. But for now, they're young, they're green, and they're desperate for fame. This week, Matt stalked and preyed upon poor Alex Packnadel for our interview segment we like to call Gotcha Questions with Matt Bomb. You have a new Swordsman book coming out, an Empire Swordsman one-shot. Yeah. So um, my question is, this is your second one shot in the Empire stuff. It is, yeah. Uh, the first one, uh, Celestial Messiah, came out two weeks ago today. Right. How do you get on this beat? How does someone come to you and be like, you know what? We need a guy, but we got a really specific job here. How do you end up the swordsman and son of swordsman guy at Marvel? I'd love to say we were all like, you know, there were sort of various that it was like, you know, it was like a bake-off and we were all placed in a tank and, <laughs> you know, like sharks. We had to just eat each other. Sure, uh, sure. But the, the reality is <clears throat> Marvel were asking Alan Dan um, if they had kind of anyone in mind for the, the, the sort of peripheral titles. And I think Al put my name through, you know, through, through my hat into the ring. So um, you were kind of hand-picked. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty well. Yeah, with like with, with others, like uh, you know, other names were floated, but sure. um, but and then I got uh, I got an email from Darren Shan, uh, Marvel, which I missed because I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, and, and no, no, Gmail is an asshole. Like right. literally, like I got I got an email. I, I got an email from Darren Shan. Like, hi Alex, just checking in on that email. And, <laughs> Oh, like you're a Marvel editor. What are you doing? And then I like, went through my junk and it was in my junk. So clearly like 
Larry Page and Sergey Brin are like trying to sabotage my career. <laughs> well, you, but you can play that directly. off as like, I'm such a busy guy. You'll have to excuse me. You know, I have so <laughs> many offers coming in right now. Just beating DC <laughs> off with a stick at the moment. You're like, what, what was it you needed? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, you know, like the local church want me to design a poster for them. <laughs> like I have to, like my son, like probably has like some, some bruise somewhere that like sure. I've got to like treat or something. Yeah, Cover you know, up a little like bit that. so it doesn't look like dad. Yeah, you know. I'm a busy guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but, but it was, it was really smooth sort of from that point on. So yeah, basically like, I, I mean, I, it was Al, it was Al pretty much kind of floated my name. And then they they asked me if I wanted to take them on, and then I uh, uh, I, I had a pretty kind of wide brief, right? It was you know they they, they just sort of because what one shots are really cool to work on because it, it, there are two kind of perspectives on them, right? You know the one is you know and, and you get it sometimes, which is you know well it's like it's a peripheral thing, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right? That's just, you know, it we, can be a double edged sword. That's the scary part. Absolutely. Right. It's like, it's the, you know, you've got this tent pole thing and, you know, you're doing the kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern exactly. thing in the corner. But the, 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 the real benefit, and this, this is the thing I kind of discussed with Al sort of straight off the bat is that, I mean, I, I mentioned this sort of elsewhere, but I, I think it holds true, which is, you know, I was, I was watching a thing recently where it was an Aaron Sorkin thing where he said, you know, he was, if you look at his, if you look at his movies and his TV shows, you know, um, the thing you should always start a script sitting with your character, like on their worst day. Yeah. Because yeah. that's like that, that's the, you know, if you watch like the social network, you know, you are seeing like Mark Zuckerberg, like getting like inceled to death right. by this like woman who knows far more than he does and is far more kind of tuned in and socially aware than he is and all this stuff. It's very so Kurt Vonnegut too. Worst day. Like, it's very Kurt Vonnegut too, where you like take the story starts awful. Like, oh my God, how do we yeah. get here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 right. Like as close to the end as possible. Right. Um, and, but the thing, the thing about these one shots is that like, um, you know, and I, and I, I, I mean, I, I talked it out with Al, don't get me wrong, there was no sort of Machiavellian dimension to it, but I just sort of said, like, is it okay if I take these two characters and just sort of, I, I just, can I have their worst days? And he went, yeah, no problem. Um, and, you know, Marvel liked it, and so I got to run with it. So, you know, you've got this kind of big, broad canvas, kind of, you know, the, you know, the culmination of various kind of strands of cosmic Marvel going off over here, and I get to do these kind of weird, intimate, very kind of dark sort of personal tragedies, yeah. uh, which is kind of cool. That's okay. So one of the main reasons that I reached out to you, cause I read both last night prepping for the show and whatnot. And I had picked to review the swordsman one spoiler. I liked it. Uh, how I was a little blown away and this is not to talk smack about the company that's paying your bills right now, but I was a little blown away because there are a lot of just complete BS one shots out there and you loaded Two one shots about two characters. I, no lie, like I hadn't thought about the swordsman in I don't know how long. And when they brought him back in the Avengers thing, I was like, "This is what we're doing, really?" <laughs> and his son Koi, which is sort of for Sequoia, and you packed these books with so much emotional heft. And I went and looked back, and we reviewed some of your other stuff. Friendo, uh, we loved yeah, on this show, and uh, Arcadia was another one we really enjoyed. There seems to be this kind of through line in all your stuff where. You can take a character in a completely unrelatable situation and make them very relatable. Is that what you're going for with just about anything you write? It seems is that like the running is this is this your jam, if you will? Um, 
you know what? Um, I don't know. Um, or is there like a father th- issue that you have? Is that what's going on? You got a daddy thing. The one thing that I always uh, think about my own work is that it's, it's, it's very plotty. Um, and I, I worry that I don't do the kind of, um, you know, I, I, like I, I obsess over, you know, making them Swiss watches. I mean, I never achieve it. Don't get me wrong. Sure, you know, sure. You're supposed to be anxious about that. But like, I always worry that I'm not doing the kind of heavy lifting character wise. And then every now and then someone like yourself will say something deeply flattering. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, I mean, maybe it's, it's one of those things where like, I, I worry about it so much that maybe it kind of sneaks in, I sure. guess. Because, you know, I always worry that I'm very plotty. So maybe I kind of, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, um, maybe I kind of compensate. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely thing to hear because, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in this, um, I'm in a, a, like a writer's collective with Ryan O'Sullivan, Ram V and Dan Waters. And, that's, you know, the big thing we always kind of talk about all the time is, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. Yeah. Um, they all have amazing hair, the bastards. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, um, you know, it, it's always um, the, the, the one thing that we, you know, we, we talk about craft a lot, right? And, sure. and the thing that we would come back to is uh, character first, right? So, you know, I, I will, uh, you know, I'm the kind of, I'm the panicky one in the group. So, you know, I'll always sort of be ringing Dan up at, you know, three in the morning um saying you know i have no idea like how to fix this story like i have no idea how to fix this story and people right. always come back to me well what's your character and then i'll sort of sit there and just freak out because i will i will i will think that i've done no character work because yeah. you know i've been so kind of obsessed with making the thing um if you like kind of you know machinically if that's even a word you know but 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 mechanically i don't effective. think it is but i get what you're saying <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like mechanically functional. Don't you think that um, kind of like worrying though is what makes characterization good? I mean, like the writers that don't care about it or don't think about it or don't operate in that level becomes pretty obvious pretty fast. And you read the comic book in five minutes and you're done. There were little things you did in this latest Swordsman issue. Like there's a scene where uh, I, I believe they're uh, the Alchemax people are about to cut down the tree and these are the bad guys we're not supposed to care about them they're bad guys they're faceless you know just parts of the plot that we shouldn't even think about and one of them looked at the other guy and he has this memory about this thing that he did to his sister that he still feels Mm. terrible about and he's like this feels even worse and i was just like in that that little panel just like oh shit he's making the bad guys human (laughs) like that i mean that was a that was a like i mean i can tell you where that came from that was um if you like how immorality is distributed among institutions, right? Like I've got, there's a whole, there's a whole page in the book where I talk about like how, you know, I mean, I relate it to kind of the Cree, um, how like the Supreme intelligence kind of came to be and everything, um, that may or may not be applicable to, you know, world leaders presently. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about there. Yeah, no idea, no idea. Um, <laughs> and, but just saying, you know, how, how and you know, Koi says to Sorsman, you know, how like how do these people like how do they how do they rise? He's well, you know, they rise when institutions fail. Right. And so what the reason I put that in was because, you know, Alchemax is one of those, you know, it's this kind of, you know, huge kind of, you know, multinational with, you know, tendrils in various kind of companies and, you know, part of it's set, you know, you've got like Alchemax Asia Pack and, you know, Alchemax New York and Alchemax Genetics and stuff. And, um, but what they do is they, when something, when they do something really bad, um, 
the accountability just gets kind of kicked up the chain. It's just following orders, right? right. So right. I, I just wanted I wanted a, a specific moment in there where it was people doing something that they know to be wrong, but the order is the order. Right. And, you know, because the whole thing has to be, you know, it has to function almost as a kind of, uh, it's a, it's a casus belli, right? Like the whole thing is kind of, I wanted to, you know, there are obviously, you know, there are, there are a whole host of reasons why the Katati are kind of, you know, declaring war on animal life or anything, but I just wanted to kind of hook it to something very human. Yeah. Um, well, it's a nice I contrast think- too, because you have like one side, the, the swordsman and his son, Koi talking about how like, look, we know we're right. We're no, we know this is the good thing to do. And Koi mm-hmm. sort of backing off a little bit and saying, well, there's other parts of like humanity that aren't so bad. And when you see this guy questioning this, it's like that thing that we never got in GI Joe where we looked at and we went, well, why does anybody work for Cobra? They're obviously bad guys. You know, like your boss could shoot you at any time. (laughs) Like, why would you work there? And like these are... Do you you remember that episode? Do you remember that issue? I mean, I forget which one it was, but do you remember that issue of The Invisibles, the Steve Parkhouse one, where you just like sit with the henchman for the whole issue? Yes, yes. Like, yeah, it's... It's awesome. It's, like, yeah. Exactly. And it's little moments like that. And I know like you're a huge Morrison guy. You can just tell. And I've read <laughs> that you gushed over him in some interviews and stuff. But uh, it's little moments like that that I think people who worry about characterization like you do come through in the comics. And if you didn't worry about it, it wouldn't be there. So I'm glad you're worried about it. I hope it keeps you up at night. I hope it makes you ill <laughs> because you're really good at this. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah, you know, it's it's the thing. It's it's where it's where I kind of worry that I'm weakest. So if you think that that's kind of a strength, then that's I'll I'll I'll, I'll suspend the self loathing. Well, for, it's it's just like how let's let's time this the twenty six seconds. Twenty six <laughs> seconds of relief from self loathing. Let's go. Parents worry the most about their kids, right? They, they, I'm afraid I'm being a bad parent. That's what makes you a good parent. You know, dude, like uh, exactly what, like when my son was born, that was exactly like my, you know, the midwife, like I was sitting there kind of holding this little bundle, just going like, I am going to screw this up so bad. <laughs> Can you take this? And, I don't think I should have this. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but it was exactly that, man. Like the, the midwife just kind of went, look, like the fact that you, the fact that you give a shit means you're probably going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. yeah. It, now, let me ask you this. This is unlike any other stuff you've written, I mean, you've worked in Valiant and that was kind of a crossover thing, the incursion. And that way we love that as well with your buddy, Andy Diggle. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but everything else has been your sandbox, your idea, you know, your little Mm. universe. What was it like to step out of that and have to work in the Marvel ring? I mean, one of the things I really liked about both of your one shots, it's something they don't do anymore. It drives me nuts, but it shows that you paid attention to the history because there's little boxes that say, see Avengers 20, you know, see Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, whatever. I'm just like, yes, someone's paying attention. <laughs> like, What kind of research did you have to completely just rethink the way you're going to approach this because it's not your sandbox? Um, it was like, I'm, I'm not going to say this, you know, I mean, blowing smoke up one's own ass i mean if, if nothing else is kind of biologically implausible um but uh there's some people it, on the internet said, that have given it a shot like solid drama, yeah right, they, you know? yeah like well, i forget which is it rule 37 yeah there's bound to be someone it's out there yeah but, um, but uh no it was it was just a, it was just a deep dive you know uh it was um <clears throat> you know al told me he said look you know go and read uh celestial quest because like i mean i like i like I was, an, I was an Engelhart guy in the sense that like I'm second generation, 
Marvel. Right. You know, my dad, my, you know, it, my dad taught me to read on his knee with like Marvel treasury editions. Yeah. Right? Same with mine. My um, uncle gave me a Spider-Man yeah. comics and it was all over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, the best. Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, so, but like, like I was always more kind of tuned into like the kind of, um, uh, you know, there's the Engelhart stuff, but also like, you know, Roy Thomas, Neil Adams, Jim Stalin. Yeah. Gerber stuff, man. Like, I mean, I mean, like, like Korvac saga for me is the goat. <laughs> so this was like yeah. a dream for you. Like you got to jump like just head first into the nerdiest part of the cosmic Avengers <laughs> stuff more Dude, or less. This is it. And, and, and also kind of doing that thing of like rationalizing, rationalizing continuity. Yeah. Um, is fun. <laughs> it's a, it's gotta um, be a huge pain in the ass though. Cause you gotta, it's a puzzle, but it's, it's a, you're sitting there with this puzzle, right. Comp- the, 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 this puzzle, which is kind of, which comprises, you know, pieces that you've loved, that you've loved since before you could control your own bowel movements. Right. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, you get to kind of, all of a sudden you get to kind of put, and, and the thing is as well, like it's, you know, I don't know what kind of image you have. I mean, I don't know what it's like sort of, you know, in other parts of the company, but like I was largely given kind of carte blanche, like as long as I didn't screw it up. Right. Which so, has got to be terrifying. Darren, 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 no, no, precisely the opposite. man. Really? It was kind of, uh, yeah. Like I, I expected all this pushback. Right. So like I, you know, I put these two pitches together and I went, you know, I'm thinking this and, um, you know, Darren, Lauren and Al, you know, went away, got back to me like the next day and just went, okay, off you go. And, you know, I was, I, you know, because it's, because it's Marvel, right? Right. And look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to front it out. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't like giddy, right? Um, <laughs> I was, I was absolutely, I was on a cloud, right? And sure. I was, but I was expecting, you know, there to be, you know, fireworks or, you know, sort of, you know, they get to bang the gong or something. Yeah. You know, um, come and put the, and the Mary just, Marvel Marching Society crown on your head and you're like, yeah, hey, welcome aboard. <laughs> the music plays. All this stuff. Yeah. You know, like I get one of Jack Kirby's stogies sure. delivered to me, you know, on a Sit down, kid. One. Get the room. Um, <laughs> go punch some Nazis. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, no, but it, but but it, it was just it was really kind of like and in the nicest possible way actually because it was really disarming and it put me at my ease. It was just really kind of you know because obviously like this is the thing they do every day. Sure, right? sure. So it was just a kind of yeah, sure. Go, you know that sounds great. You know, um, can you have that to us in two weeks? All right, cool. Um, and then it just kind of. I, I blew, I'll, t- I'll say this, like I blew a week on research, uh, which was really stupid. Uh, <laughs> like, because I just, I, like I read, I read, you know, I, I said, I, I said to Al, I said, look, it's been a long time, right? What, what should I read? And it was, you know, really, you know, just like read Celestial Quest, right? So that was like 2003 or something, you right. know, read that. That's like the last appearance. And there's, you know, it, it'll recap a bunch of stuff. Oh, but you went back but, way, you went way back. Well, no, because, yeah, but because, um, the uh again you know those little boxes right right um it the whole you know celestial quest is like festooned with those right yeah. so oh, yeah. you, what you end up with is almost like hyperlinks yeah where you're just having to kind of keep going all right okay well i guess i'm like i guess i'm getting a marvel unlimited account now um, <laughs> every time then, you read four pages you have to go back and read six other books and then come back and read two more pages and 100 <laughs> percent, man and yeah. i'm like i'm you know I'm, I'm screen grabbing all this stuff and i'm going okay well okay so this scene where like you know um you know mantis and swordsman okay so that's where that's where they both join the avengers together and like he comes in and he's that was full of kind of bravado and stuff but like what if you know, what if, you know, 
moments before, like he has this kind of moment of like crippling self doubt. Yeah, he was terrified. Like, just sat in Central Park, you know, kind of because you know this is a guy who's kind of brimming with self loathing. Yeah, and, you know, he's like a recovering alcoholic. You know, but and yet in that issue, he kind of walks in and goes, you know, yes, I'm going to join you, but like. I want to know what was going through his head like before that. Did he have to puff himself up? Did he have to kind of have a word with himself? Right. So to do all that kind of work. And that was just, yeah, man. I, like I, I, it, well, I was in heaven. I was in heaven. It was great. It's a it great, great scene. Cause it's honestly, the swordsman is a, look, he's not on anybody's top 50 Avengers list, which gives <laughs> you some freedom to do stuff like this. But the, yeah, like you said, you, you opened up with that first terrible 15 minutes of his life where he's horrified. And he's just a guy like you or I, he's going into a job interview more or less. And he has a really supportive partner in Mantis. Who's just like the sweetest thing in the world, but also very real with him. Just like, stop it. Let's go. Let's go be Avengers. You know? <laughs> and it was yeah. great. It, it's just a great scene. Let me ask. Oh, thanks man. Yeah. What's coming next? What, what do you have lined up? Can you talk about it? Um, yeah. I mean, um, uh, not I just Marvel a- stuff, but anything you've got coming. Oh yeah, sure. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, um, if anything will happen with Marvel, but, um, it's been, and like, I, I swear to you, like, this isn't, this isn't like a line. Um, you know, if, if it's just this, um, that's okay because, you know, it's something that I kind of, you know, it's, you know, it was, it was always like, it was a, a bucket list thing. I mean, like I said to, you're being I said to Al the other day, like, <laughs> if, 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 if it ends up just being this, like I had a really good time. I was really supported. Um, you know, the, the, the editors and the art teams were, you know, like everyone kind of brought their kind of a game, right? Like I'm kind of, I'm content that I can be reasonably confident that like, you know, I always wondered whether I could play a Wrigley field (laughs) to, you know, to really kind of talk to the metaphor. Right. Uh, I always wondered whether I could and maybe I didn't embarrass myself completely. Okay. You know what I mean? Like You're that's, being a little modest here. I don't know if this is a British no, thing. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> like, I will say you don't get handpicked by two of the biggest writers at Marvel to do a script like this, or even though it's sure it's a one shot and people make fun of that, but you don't get This is just the first half of Matt's interview with Alex, and if you are a THN Patreon supporter, you can hear the full interview now where they discuss how Alex broke into comics, his upcoming projects, why continuity matters, and so much more. These two had way too much fun talking to each other, and had Alex's wife not come home, they would probably still be talking now. It's my new best friend. I don't need you anymore. I've got Alex Packnadel. That's fine. Coming soon, THN starring Alex Packnadel. I quit. That's fine. I've been looking for him. He's proper. I've been looking for a way out for years. He wears a goddamn shirt. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 587. That number is obscene. Next week, Wooly Toots returns for another Swords and Scrolls. We are revisiting Marvel's Dragon Slayer and comparing it to the now shamed Disney movie Dragon Slayer, which I don't even think is on Disney Plus. And I think they probably have to like edit it because it's kind of adult. It was just, it was scary shit, and there were butts in there, man. Disney Plus, they don't like no butts. They don't like no butts. No uh, cuts. No which butts. Which is weird because no they have. Marvel movies and Marvel movies have PG-13 level cussing. But no butts. But no butts. Yeah. Uh, you know what else is not on Disney Plus? Black Cauldron. Where's my Black Cauldron? Yeah. I want to watch it. Are there butts in there? I bet there's too much Satan shit in there. Black Cauldron was scary. Oh, way too much. Way too much. Too much Satan And shit. look, 
I don't know why you're complaining about the shirtless thing. You can't even see my nurples. That's I got my camera pointed neck high. That's what I'm complaining. Okay. Oh, you'd like to see them. Okay. When I'm showing it off, I'm showing it off, baby. All right. I ain't scared. Joe Patrick, uh, why don't you set us up with the new DHN question of the week? Thank you. I thought maybe you forgot how we how, did things around How here. about that? <laughs> that is a professional podcast. Uh, look, there. I'm sorry. I, I mesmerized you with my nurples. <laughs> this week's question was submitted by the THN consigliere Ryan Forrest. He wants to know, what is your favorite on-screen superhero entrance? He gave a couple examples. I'm just going to give you one because you'll get it. Uh, his biggest example was Wonder Woman emerging from the trench during the no man's land scene of Wonder Woman, the movie uh, starring Gal Gadot. Condor man scene. flying off the top of the Empire State Building. I don't know. Steve Rogers coming out of the Super Soldier pod. You get it. Yeah. Uh, please do continue to hit me up with your question of the week suggestions. We are running low and I need them. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday, 10.30 a.m., live on our Facebook page and the new home for our nerd news segment. Oh, and now we're Zooming it, baby. That's right. Full-on Zooming Video it. chat. That's right. It's a whole new world. I promise to wear a shirt. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to nerd at gmail.com. You could be internet famous. Remember, though, we need you guys to keep it short. Two minutes or less. We got a lot of people trying to get in. Last week was chaos in a good way. It was we fun. loved it. We it hope fun. you loved it, too. Yeah, and if you don't have Facebook, we're going to share the Zoom links. You can jump into Zoom with us. And yep. when you're ready, you raise your hand. We call on you. You can talk. We can see who's been waiting the longest. It's great. If you're new to this show and you cannot wait to jump in our Zoom and show us your junk, I assure you... It's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com. Hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Mr. Matt Truesdell. That guy, goddamn sweetheart. Fun fact about Matt Truesdell, he loves going to Disneyland. Oh. And weird. he loves curling. I love curling. I think adults that go to Disneyland and love it. Kind of weirdo. So I went to Disneyland Well, I mean, he's recently. got a whole family. He's got a family with kids. Casey and I went. We did not have a good time. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's more of like a family experience. They were like, Disneyland, yes. after dark, it's for adults. We're like, yeah, let's do that. And they're like, there's drinks there. And they're like, yeah, all right. And drinks, in my head, means there's booze. Nope, there's Coke products. <laughs> and, <laughs> and no line if you want to ride It's a Small World completely sober, which sounds like a goddamn nightmare to me, you know? <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Flying Colors Comics owner and free comic book day creator, Joe Field. Joe just announced the temporary closure of his Eisner Award-winning store due to his recent COVID-19 diagnosis. That sucks. The store will reopen once his staff is tested and healthy. Word to you, Joe, uh, and your team. You guys are awesome. Uh, You've done a lot for the comics industry. Please get better soon. All the best to you, buddy. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might not wash his hands and be as forthcoming as Joe was. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. Wear your mask. Wash your fucking hands. Don't go to the theater and see New Mutants. Not because it's a bad movie. Because you shouldn't be at the fucking movie theater. Watch it at home. Pirate that shit.
I didn't even say that. It's <laughs> usually my line. You meant you, but you you felt it. I though. didn't say it. FBI bust down Joe Patrick's door. Not this guy. Hey, prove I did it. Go ahead. I dare you.